This video is brought to you by Devout Decals, makers of reusable Catholic art for your home altar, your bedroom, and your home classroom. Blessed Sunday to you today. I have a interesting little historic document from Plinio Correa de Oliveira. He was the founder of Tradition, Family, and Property, and which is one of the more you know important, historically speaking, organizations in the traditionalist movement for preserving sacred tradition in the aftermath of the craziness of Vatican II. Here he's talking about the importance of tradition today. He wrote this in the 1960s at a time during great social upheaval. Much of what he says here will be extremely familiar sounding to you, given everything. It will hit very close to home, given everything we've seen going on in the past decade at least, how things seem to be speeding up and speeding up and speeding up. His thesis is that our traditions are being purposely attacked and that against the will of the majority and that most normal people don't want the things that are being pushed, but eventually they get worn down. And then they, when they acquiesce, guess what happens? The people doing the pushing find some new heresy or something to push on the majority. And then we begin it again. Think about everything that's changed since the 1960s in the public world, and you'll see what, I, what he's talking about. And it'll really make you think, you know, how far back does this go? Let me know what you think of this in the comments after this is done. God bless. The Importance of Tradition Today by Plinio Correa de Oliveira Originally published in March of 1969 while walking downtown, I happened to bump into an acquaintance who challenged me by way of greeting. In your latest article, you proved quite well that tradition is an indispensable survival of the past and the present. But is tradition important enough for you to have placed it before property and family in the TFP trilogy? The question amazed me, but looking at him, I realized that it would occur to many people. So I will answer it today. Yes, tradition does constitute a high value of the spirit. In principle, it merits, from certain standpoints of course, to precede family and property. In our concrete circumstances, furthermore, tradition has such an important role that, as I see it, only one word could precede it. It is the word religion. Indeed, tradition defends today the very premises of civilization, and above all, Christian civilization, the most perfect civilization. Today, some traditions, like our military traditions, still live, but they are attacked. Let me explain. Consider the decades following the Second World War. Innumerable changes in people's way of thinking, feeling, living, and acting occurred during this period. When analyzing these changes in an overall picture, it cannot be denied that, with a few exceptions, they are leading toward a situation violently opposed to all our spiritual and cultural traditions we have received. These traditions are still alive, but they are constantly being attacked by radical modifications. Obviously, they will finally perish if no one stands up for them. But the end of these traditions would amount, as I see it, to the greatest catastrophe in history. Here are a few examples showing how sophistic distortions of some very precious concepts are corroding some of our best traditions. Goodness. According to modern sophisms, a good person never makes others suffer. Now, since effort causes suffering, only he who does not ask others for effort is good. Christian civilization modeled the peoples of the West in accordance with the principle that effort is the essential condition for the dignity, decorum, and good order and productivity of life. 
If good is to abolish effort in all fields, doesn't this implicitly deprive life of the values which make it worth living? Doesn't this deformed goodness become the worst malefaction? Love of children. According to this saccharine and flabby goodness, love of children amounts to sparing them every effort. People try to achieve this by thousands of techniques of instructing and forming children to lead lives without any sacrifice. Obstinate attachment to this idea has gone as far as condemning punishment in school because they make the guilty suffer, and eliminating awards because they may cause complexes in the lazy. According to Christian tradition and plain common sense, one of the essential goals of education is to form people for the struggle of life by making them acquire habits of effort and sacrifice. What is this quote-unquote love of children but a cruel miseducation? Simplicity and unpretentiousness. One who prefers things that require neither much taste nor much effort is supposedly simple. Someone who feels good being vulgar is supposedly unpretentious. Simplicity and unpretentiousness progressively invade the manners of youths and adults. The rules of urbanity and good manners, the way of organizing one home, receiving people, dressing, speaking, are becoming increasingly simple and unpretentious. Decorum, brilliance, quality, class, and prestige are values of the spiritless and less accepted. However, since these values contain much of what is most precious in our legacy from tradition, life is becoming dingy. Noble impulses are withering, horizons are shrinking, and vulgarity is invading everything. The most refined selfishness is triumphing on the pretext of simplicity and unpretentiousness. Yes, refined selfishness, the only refinement left to us. Spontaneity, naturalness, sincerity. These attitudes supposedly lead one to avoid yet another form of effort, thinking, willing, and restraining oneself. They would lead one to give free rein to sensation, fantasy, extravagance, in a word, everything. Thus the excitement of television is stamping out books with their invitation to reflection. Ideas are becoming poorer and people's vocabulary suffers with them. In some circles, conversation is reduced to telling a few elementary facts with a few basic words. Entertainment is senseless jumping and yelling. There's laughter, much laughter, but without much reason to laugh. Any restraint in the fleshly matters is obviously rejected even more than any other restraint. Some people's morality of the flesh amounts to legitimizing all kinds of disorders in order to avoid complexes. For them, modesty is the great enemy of morality. Libertinism is the way to normality. Open-mindedness. An open-minded person must accept everything. Bishops or governors, teachers or parents who do not endorse all the above absurdities are narrow-minded despots who want to maintain the yoke of taboos that have become untenable. Someone may say, aren't you talking about the behavior of a few oddballs? Most people don't think this way. Isn't it true that most people are desolated and shocked at these excesses? I agree they may, have des they may be desolate and shocked. However, I hasten to add they are also crushed and submissive. All the advances of these attitudes over the past decade follow the same pattern. A. A minority comes with a crazy folly. B. The majority shudders and protests. C. The minority persists. D. The majority gradually becomes accustomed, adapts itself, and submits. E. Meanwhile, the minority prepares a new scandal. F. And this scandal will be equally successful. Thus, the majority gradually enters this new world fascinated, fortified, hypnotized like a bird in the maw of a snake. So much reduction of refinement 
will make it all disappear. So much shortening of clothing will make it vanish. So much silence about the fundamental values of culture and of the spirit will lead them to desert the earth. So much fostering and unleashing of disorders will lead them to invade and submerge everything. Is there any other way to prevent this than by fighting for our tradition, the bearer of all authentically Christian or even simply human values that this hurricane is destroying? Like I said at the start, that sounds pretty familiar, doesn't it? You could describe the upendedness our civilization has experienced in the last decade. But really, those problems go back far beyond that, far before that. He was writing in the 60s, a period of upheaval. And I suspect future generations will look at the 20-teens and the 2020s as a similar period of upheaval. As sort of, the I'm hoping, the bookend of things that began to really take off in the 60s that it all ended and started to contract and find some semblance of sanity starting in this decade. But it should sound familiar. It was all, it was within a day or so of that, uh, that court case that they decreed that uh, the James Martin parody of the nuptial sacrament couldn't be restricted. Once that decree came down, it was within a day or so that now we see this sort of questioning of basic you know, scientific reality going on all around us. And it, it, it was remarkable how quickly that happened. He describes it here. And he wrote this in 1969. But then again, what had he started seeing just a few years earlier? The 60s weren't when it started. That stuff started in the 30s with the Lambeth Conference. And in the 20s before that, in the aftermath of the Great War. Something worth thinking about, I think, because you could probably go back at least to the French Revolution, if not further. Let me know what you thought of this in the comments, please. Like and subscribe if you haven't. It really does help. As to sharing this on social media, that helps a lot as well. As always, pray for the church. I'm Anthony Stein. Ave Maria.